What's going on, everybody? Hardest part of the ring. Back at it again. And boy, oh boy, are there things grinding my gears nowadays. This is a topic that I've, <laughs> I've wanted to go into long form for a long time. And I think now is as good a time as ever. Commentary. Wrestling commentary. Now, I just say those words, and I know anyone listening to this is just going through a Rolodex of things in their head, of things that annoy them about commentary and wrestling. And this this isn't just WWE. It's AEW, it's New Japan, it's the Indies in America, and the UK, and Japan, and anywhere else where there's commentary, there's always something to annoy the listening audience about it. It's like, I think before I get into anything, I should acknowledge that I understand that commentary is a very, very tough job. I can only imagine the the struggle it is to, to stay engaged with the product for hours and hours every single week. You know, you're getting instructions from people in your headset. You have things you need to sell. You have you have pay-per-views to sell. You have future shows to sell. Fucking nicknames to remember. You have moves to remember. You have all your notes and all your all the you know the crowd around you. You you probably have to piss. <laughs> There's so many things that make commentary such a difficult job, and I sincerely commend anyone that's able to do it well. Now, that being said, there are certain fundamentals about commentary, both from the commentator's point of view and from, you know, the company's point of view that's producing that commentary. There's fundamentals that should be adhered to in terms of how the listener interprets this commentary. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think I, you know, I think before I get into all these things that annoy me, that grind my gears about commentary i think before i go into any of that i should explain what i want from commentary because i think that's important i think it's important to have you know just something that i look for in commentary as a fan watching and listening to the product i think that's fair i think i'm you know as the end user i think that's a valuable piece of information right so what do i want from commentary well by and large i want the story to be told whether that's bell-to-bell wrestling, whether that's a promo in the ring, an angle being shot, whatever it is, the commentator or the team of commentators should convey that story to the listening audience. I heard JR say something. I don't know if he was the one that made this up or the first one to say this, but he's the one that I first heard say this. In wrestling, the wrestlers make the music and the commentators write the lyrics. And I think that's such a good analogy because that really is true. You know, the basis, obviously, is the wrestlers and what they're doing in the ring, outside of the ring, whatever it is they're doing. You could have, you know, instrumentals. People like instrumentals. I think you can make, you know, you can make quality things to listen to just with the instruments themselves. But to really drive it home, to really leave a lasting impact on your fans and your audience... You need to articulate what that music means. You need to put into words to bridge the gap between the action 
in the audience. And that's what commentators do. This isn't necessarily like news to a lot of you, but I think it's a way of thinking that maybe not everybody thinks about commentary. And I think for me, at least, it's a way to kind of really illustrate the importance of commentary and the value that they are able to bring. Tell the story. Give me the lyrics. Make it so that even if I'm not watching the show, make it so that I still understand what's happening. Make it so that somebody who can't watch, whether they're blind or they're looking off into the distance for whatever fucking reason, make it so that they understand what's happening with your words. Not every not every beat, not every syllable, but tell the general story. Convey the motivations and the ethos of the characters that are on my screen and describe the path they're taking to tell that story. JR was great at that in the Attitude Era. Maybe I'm biased because that's when I grew up in wrestling, but he was fantastic at conveying. So you have JR. Let's just talk about the, actually the, the, the commentary duo of JR and Jerry the King Lawler. You have JR, who is the babyface, quote unquote, commentator, who is on the side of whoever is the babyface in the ring. And then you have King, who is on the heel side. JR went to great lengths and put a lot of effort into conveying when a heel was being a heel, he would convey to the audience what a horrible person that guy was or that girl was. The right to censor would come out. He would call them hypocrites. He would say that they're the opposite of what the fans want. He would say that they don't represent what we as WWF fans want. Triple H came out. He hit somebody in the head with a sledgehammer. He would get emotional about it. He would get physically angry at Triple H. Like he was about to fucking hop up from his commentary desk and go beat the shit out of him himself. He would convey that emotion, which would therefore would cause the audience that's listening to him to have that similar emotion. Stone Cold would come out. JR would treat him like the hero that he is, and then that contributed to a lot of the support that Stone Cold got. Some of the most famous calls in commentary history are JR cheering on Stone Cold or even disparaging Stone Cold when he turned heel. And that contributed to a lot of the fan support in either direction for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Him and Lawler would treat Undertaker like a, an unstoppable badass or Kane. They would really highlight how huge the big show was. They would put over how annoying Kurt Angle was, but how great of an athlete he was to counteract that. How no-nonsense Chris Benoit was. All this stuff. I, I could go on and on, but the point is, what do I want in commentary? I want you to tell me what's going on, and I want you to carry over the emotion that I should be having, and I want you to have that emotion yourself so that the listening audience can have that same emotion. It's a difficult thing. It's much easier said than done. But the premise is simple. Now, why have they strayed away from that simple premise? Beats the fuck out of me. I think ultimately, commentary nowadays is just not organic. It's disingenuous. And that really, really comes forward nowadays, especially nowadays. There's just so many, um, so many tropes that they do. So many things that they like. It's like very formulaic, right? A lot of things in wrestling are very formulaic, but commentary in particular is exemplifies that very strongly. 
Like, let me give you an example. Let's just get right into it, right? Here's one thing that pisses me off to no end. That they do all the time. Not just WWE, but everyone does it. So, there's a number one contenders match going on in the ring, right? Singles match, triple threat, whatever it is. You have a certain group of people in the ring fighting to be a number one contender for a certain championship. You have the champion on commentary. The match starts. The the people fighting to be the number one contender are wrestling in the ring. And the champion is on commentary. Every single fucking time they do this. One commentator will look over to the champion and ask him, Hey champ, who in the ring would you rather face for your title at so-and-so show? Champion replies, doesn't matter to me. I could beat any of them. Every goddamn time. It is the same back and forth, the same exact response, the same question, the same entire dialogue every time. Why do you keep doing that? It's never going to be a different answer. The champion is never going to pick one. Never. Ever. Stop it. What, do you think we're just going to forget that you ask that every time? No, we hear you. Have some variety. Christ. Here's, here's another one. Just, just some rapid fire ones here to start. The commentators. So there's a, there's a match in the ring. Someone hits their finisher or their signature move. They go for the pin, and then the commentator goes, That's gotta be it! That's gotta be it! It's never it. Whenever they say that, it is never it. Ball game! Ball game! Is it? I don't think so. It never is, JBL. You just ruin the false finish because of your stupid thing you do that really gives it away that they're gonna kick out. I don't understand why they... Is that something that they're explicitly told to do? Because if it is, it's like insulting to the listener that you think that we're not going to catch the pattern. <laughs> That's got to be it. That he's, there's no way he's kicking out of that. They'll always kick out of that when you say that. It has taken me out of so many false finishes over the years and it, and it has hindered matches. That simple call has decreased the quality of matches just because it's taken away from the surprise. Because you're given away that they're going to kick out when you say that. Which is the opposite of the goal of a commentator. They're supposed to enhance the match, enhance the experience, when in reality, when they do that, it just hinders it. So, fuck you. Taz was really bad at this, in particular. Him and JBL are probably the worst at this. That's it. It's done. Is it? I doubt it. Next. Three-person commentary booths. Or I should say three-person plus. In the case of SmackDown in 2016, when they had like when they had like five or six guys on the table for whatever fucking reason. Three I don't know I don't understand why WWE is so hell bent. Or AEW. I don't understand why they're so hell bent on having three people at the commentary table. Why? For so many years it's worked swimmingly with two people. You have Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. JR and King. Michael Cole and Taz, Joey Styles and Taz, Mike Tanay and Don West. These two man commentary teams that work great together. And now you just add in a third person just for the hell of it. 
what to just have another guy on payroll? What is it? What is their job? It's pointless. New Japan does it as well as anybody because they have the English version. Anyways, I obviously can't speak for the Japanese version, but they'll have Kevin Kelly as play-by-play, Rocky Romero as color, and then they'll have this guy, Chris Charlton, who is the third mic, but he only chimes in every now and then. He's not like a common thread throughout the, every single match. He's like the like the historian. He like reinforces like the long-term continuity of storylines. He harkens back to past matches, you know, two people might have had in the past and why how those matches have built to this match he'll, he'll like fill in gaps that the other two can't right and i guess that's the intention of throwing like a byron saxton but so many people don't do it well it's and it's hard it's virtually impossible i think byron saxton does it pretty well but that, that's after years and years of struggling to make it work because he's been at third mic for damn near what five six years He's learned through experience, you know, the do's and don'ts of it. And here in 2020, him with Tom and Samoa Joe, I think that three-man group is actually pretty decent, but it'd be better with just two people. When you have more than two people, it leads to each person trying too hard to get their shit in. Because it's hard to get a word in edgewise when there's three people talking about the same thing. Everyone has their role that they're trying to fill you know, characters they're trying to sell, nicknames they're trying to throw out there. They're all trying to get their lines in. They, they have their notes of like, you know, points they want to make and they're all trying to like fit in. But it's it just leads to people talking over each other. It leads to awkward, you know, stutters like, oh, oh no, no, you go, you go. They're not listening to each other. A lot of times they'll literally like repeat what somebody just said like a minute ago. They're not working together. They're not being cohesive. They're just three individuals talking. And that's what's lost when you have three plus people at a commentary table. You're more dedicated to try to get your lines in and not reacting organically to what's happening in the ring. That's why a team like JR and King thrive so much because you had that that dynamic of here, here's this babyface commentator, here's this heel commentator. They know, you know, if I'm not talking, they're talking. It's not if I'm not talking, one of them is talking, and then they have to figure out who amongst them has to talk. And it just it just creates an exponentially, it creates more confusion and less ability to be cohesive with each other. It becomes more of a struggle just to to talk without talking over each other. And you're focusing on that and you're, and you're not reacting to what's happening on in front of you and what's happening in front of the viewer. And you're not able to convey that message to the viewer because you're worrying about not trying to walk over each other and trying to get their, your lines in, trying to get your catchphrases in. And now you're all, it's all mess. It's all a tangled web. And now the viewer, obviously, I mean, they could see what's happening, but if they weren't watching what's happening, they probably wouldn't know because it's just a mess with three plus people there. It's like very frustrating because it's like it, it hasn't what, – what's the benefit? What could possibly be the benefit? It doesn't help anyone other than the third person obviously because they have a job. But it, it doesn't benefit the product at all. And you're paying somebody extra to be there who ultimately is decreasing the value. Not because necessarily they're a bad commentator but, but just because the whole three-man dynamic is a terrible concept. And I think that's why it's so frustrating to me because it's like, why? why? Why wouldn't they just go back to two people? 
One of my favorite commentary duos of the modern era is Vic Joseph and Nigel McGuinness, who commentated NXT UK. Now, if you go watch that one takeover, I think it was, was it the last one? I think it was Cardiff. It was when Tyler Bate and Walter had a match. And they were able to treat this match like a legitimate fight. They were able to act emotionally. They were, they, like the emotion, at least appeared to me, to be legitimate. And that's what matters. Because they weren't worried about, okay, when do I talk? When do they talk? Oh, I say this. Oh, no, but th- th- they're the color, so they're supposed to talk about this. But what if they don't talk about this? Uh, okay, then I have to listen to the play-by-play, and then I'm listening to my headset. Uh, what are the fans saying? Oh, are they chanting something? It's, not, it's none of that. It's just two guys talking. If I'm not talking, they're talking. And then they can react with their pure emotion, which carries over into the audience that's listening to it. Like, I, I keep going back to J.R. and King, but they did, they did very well at doing that. Michael Cole and Taz also did an awesome job at doing that back in the early SmackDown days. Bobby Heenan and Grill Monsoon, same thing. So it's like, what, what's the point of a three-man booth? It's basically the overarching theme of that aspect of commentary that pisses me off. We only need two people. We only need two people. <laughs> and, and, and to add on top of that, it's like, it seems like every other segment you have to have a guest on commentary, which in certain instances, it's entertaining, right? If you put Asuka on commentary, she hijacks the whole thing. It's hilarious. I love it. Or even if you have someone like Bailey, who's just shitting on Michael Cole the whole time, love it. You have New Day out there being entertaining. You have Kevin Owens, John Moxley, Daniel Bryan, like those type of guys that are really good at it and are really good at reinforcing what their characters are, then, then I'm fine with it. But that's the main thing. You have to reinforce what your character is. And it's so many times guest commentary spots are just utilized as a crutch because they don't know any other way to, you know, carry forward, carry forward a storyline. I don't know why this one pops into my mind, but it's, it's one that ruined somebody for me. Tony Nese was on commentary, right? This is, this is in two, on 205 Live. This was, this was many months ago. I couldn't even tell you who was wrestling in the ring. I think he was champion at the time, and there were two guys in the ring. <laughs> Number one contenders match, and I'm sure they asked Tony who he would rather face. I guarantee you they did. But the point is they had Tony Nese on commentary. Now, Tony Nese, if you're not familiar, is in the cruiserweight division. He's ripped. He has an eight-pack. That's pretty much his gimmick, right? He's this vain dude who is a great athlete. Not a lot of depth to it, but it's a pretty basic character that could get over at the level that he's at, right? But the premise of his character is that he's cocky, he's smooth, he's a great athlete. He's confident, right? But then he's thrown on commentary and he's exposed so much because he's so nervous. He's, he's stuttering. He, his, his, all of his responses to the commentator's questions are so like generic Hey, hey, Tony, who would you rather face in the ring? You know what? It doesn't matter who I, who I face. Because whoever wins this match will go on to face me at this pay-per-view. And at that pay-per-view, I will walk into the pay-per-view as champion. And I will walk out as pay-per-view as champion. Or whatever the fuck he said. But some, something generic like that. Right? And I'm picking on Tony Nice because that's one that I immediately think of. Because right after that... 
I fucking hated Tony Anise because he was such a goober on commentary. And no longer do I see him and believe that he's this cocky, confident guy because he was exposed at, as a stuttering fool on commentary. They put him on commentary and now it's highlighted how generic he is, which highlights why he hasn't really risen above that level is because he's just a, a nameless, faceless guy that does a lot of flips, right? And he's a great athlete. He really is. But he's, he's very generic, very vanilla. And there's, there's others that this has happened to, right? Like Chris Benoit was thrown on guest commentary or something. Or Owen Hart. Or, some, or someone who is great in the ring, but not a great talker. They, they throw them on guest commentary just to further the angle that they're involved in. And it, and it exposes them as somebody who's not confident, who's not good at talking. And somebody that I'm not going to care about as much because they're nerds. So, too many guest commentary spots. Too many. And only use it when it's used to further somebody's character. Which is generally someone who is annoying the commentators. Which puts forward how annoying their character is. Or it's somebody, you know, badass and intimidating like Kevin Owens or John Moxley or somebody like that. Someone that's good at commentary and is cognizant of their job out there, which is to further their angle. That's all I asked for. That's all I asked for. Now, here's another one. And this one actually is a compliment to modern commentary. It's more, more of a dig at old school, like, Attitude Era commentary. Let's, let's, let's for example, let's say, um, let's say it's 1999, right? And you have uh, D'Lo Brown versus Val Venus in, like, the second match of the night or whatever, right? It's Monday Night Raw. D'Lo and Val are having a match in the ring. They're working hard to get themselves over, to entertain the crowd, to further whatever, whatever storyline they're involved in, right? They're working their asses off in the ring. What's happening on commentary? Oh, okay, so D'Lo Brown and Val Venus, they're in a lockup. Hey, what about that thing that happened with Stone Cold earlier in the night? He got hit by a car. Who do you think did it? King goes, oh, I don't know, JR, uh, but whoever hit, whoever hit Stone Cold is going to have a price to pay. And then the, fucking D'Lo Brown hits his powerbomb on, on Val Venus. And then JR goes, oh, what a maneuver. So, yeah, Stone Cold, what, what, a, what a thing that happened earlier that night. King goes, yeah, man, that thing was crazy that night. JR goes, oh, we have a pin. One, two, three. Oh, D'Lo Brown wins. What a win for D'Lo Brown. So, King, that thing was Stone Cold earlier, you remember? Like, yeah, we heard you. We heard you. Fuck. Don't beat us in the fucking head with it. We're not stupid, most of us. There's actually a lot, a lot, a lot of stupid wrestling fans now that I think about it. So maybe, maybe it's necessary. Maybe it's necessary. I don't know. But yeah, that really <laughs> fucking annoys the shit out of me. It's, it's why... The under, like in the late 90s, it's why the undercards of pay-per-views were so weak. You know, people think back to Attitude Era. They might think all the pay-per-views were great. No. Especially like 99, almost every pay-per-view was shit. Almost every one of them. They all had great main event storylines. They might have one or two main events that are really good. But the rest of the match is just thrown together. Because nobody cares about any of these people. You know why they don't care about these people? It's because the commentary team doesn't care about these people. How am I supposed to care about fucking Val Venus if you won't even talk about what he's doing in his match that he's having actively right in front of your goddamn face? Come on, man. 
And like I said, they don't, they actually don't do it as much nowadays, which is really good. I think maybe it's something they've learned. It's something that, that creates a stronger top to bottom roster and it builds to better top to bottom pay-per-views when you give effort to caring about everyone on the card, no matter what their status on the hierarchy is. So I, I think they've learned from that, which is great, but it's still something that I can complain about because it's my fucking podcast. Next. Um, okay, here. so here's one. When commentators don't know wrestling moves. Now, I know who you're all thinking immediately. Or there's probably two people you're thinking of. Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler. To me, Lawler was a more egregious culprit of this. Because not only would he not know any moves he would actively make fun of people that did no moves. Jerry Lawler is one of the, you know, one of the most tenured decorated wrestlers of all time. But his matches consisted of punch punch punch, pile driver, 1 2 3. Which is fine, it worked. I'm not knocking him for that. But the fact is this guy just doesn't know any wrestling moves, even basic ones. I don't I don't care that he doesn't know a fucking Panama Sunrise or a, a Stormbreaker or a Rainmaker or whatever the fuck. I don't care if he doesn't know these obscure moves, but know some basics. Be able to improvise. Do a, like, like JR was really good at it because JR didn't necessarily know all the moves either, but he would he knew certain setups, certain you know amateur wrestling positions. Like if you have somebody in a fireman's carry. You know, someone might know, not know what a TKO is, but you can watch what's happening in front of you and you can acknowledge, okay, this guy has him in a fireman's carry. Oh, he drops him into a neckbreaker, face plant, something like that, or a modified neckbreaker. Jarrow was very, he was like notorious for just, oh, there's a modified DDT of, of sorts. But at least he's trying. He's, he's conveying what's happening. He's making it so if you're not watching it, you at least have an idea of what's happening. But some, someone like Jerry Lawler, right? And now, <laughs> this, is, this goes back to the whole ramen noodle moonsault thing. You know, when Tazawa did like a, like a senton off the apron onto somebody. And <laughs> King just called it a ramen noodle moonsault, which... Okay. <laughs> yeah. He called it ramen noodle because he was Japanese. And it wasn't even a moonsault. It was a fucking somersault. But I digress. Anyways, his response to all the backlash that he got for it was basically premised in him working with Maro Nalo a few years ago. Maro knows all of these moves, all these moves that are very popular in Japan and Mexico that King has absolutely no concept of because anything that's not a right hand or a pile driver, he is completely inept in acknowledging, right? Completely ignorant to it. So you have Maro and King working together, which is like oil and water, right? Maro's over here. Oh, he's got him in an Argentine backbreaker, a double, a butterfly, whatever the fuck. And then King is just over there like, oh, what? And uh, he's like making fun of him for knowing these moves. So he just makes up different words to tie, to, to, to associate with moves. I don't know any like specific examples because that was a time period on SmackDown, where Smack it was before the brand split, so it was there was literally no reason to watch SmackDown. So I wasn't I wasn't watching SmackDown during that time. But King would basically make up 
funny names for moves as like a jab at people for knowing what these moves are called. He would like shame them for knowing these moves. And I'm not, you know, out here saying that you need to know every single hold and maneuver that there is, but you have to at least try to improvise and at least have some basic knowledge of certain positions and certain terms. Just a few basic high-level terms that you can implement into anything that you see in the ring. Like I said, you don't need to know what a TKO is, but you can at least be able to call it a fireman's carry face buster or something like that, you know? Like me, the fan, I shouldn't know more moves than the commentator. I shouldn't be getting frustrated at Jerry the King Lawler because he doesn't know what a goddamn brain buster is or a whatever, a Yakuza kick or a German suplex, what dragon suplex, whatever. I shouldn't be getting fr- I shouldn't know more than him and I shouldn't be getting frustrated at him for not knowing what these moves are cuz now I'm frustrated and I'm not even paying attention to what's going on and now it's hindering the product for me. Just that fast. Just that fast. Basic knowledge when a when a commentator lacks basic knowledge it is mind-numbingly annoying and mind-numbingly frustrating to listen to. What else? Oh, here we go. Another thing, too much fun. Now, I'm not saying commentators aren't allowed to have fun out there, but it goes to a different level when everything is just inside jokes. It's all, uh, we're going to talk about this at the bar after this, blah, blah, blah. Are you? Talk about what's in the ring, you doofus. Fun is okay. I, I just shit all over Jerry Lawler. But he was very good at being entertaining, but also filling his role. Talking about the Attitude Era, when he was, when it actually, when he was, when he had a partner that he could feed off of, right? JR would know all the moves. He would, I mean, he was play-by-play, so he would hit every beat on what's going on in the ring. And then Jerry Lawler, as a color, would, you know, add color. Surprise, surprise. He would have jokes. He would, you know, be kind of silly with it. He'd be <laughs> a little you know, misogynistic, whatever. Whatever it is. He would be funny. Whether or not you thought he was funny, he was entertaining. He was at least attempting to be entertaining. And he did it uh, in, within the boundaries of the universe that they're in. He was having fun. But he was, you know, using that to further whatever was going on in the ring. He was using it to enhance the product and enhance the commentary. You have JBL and Michael Cole just fucking... It was like him, Cole, and Byron. And they would just shit all over Byron the whole time. And it was, it was just a mess. They would get distracted. with what, They wouldn't be talking about what's going on in the ring because they're too busy telling inside jokes to each other at the expense of what's going on in the ring. And I think that's one thing that's holding holding back AEW right now, as far as commentary goes, is that, you know, JR, Tony Schiavone, Excalibur, they're all really good commentators. They all have, you know, certain experience in the business, differing experiences, but they all have a lot of experience. They have the tools that they, they, they seem comfortable together, but almost at times it's like they're comfortable to the point where it's like, they're not paying attention to what's going on. Like I said, like I said with Cole and JBL, they spend too much time ribbing each other. Oh man, after that match, I might need a Moscow mule. 
They're just too tongue in cheek with each other. When I listen, when I watch AEW, right? When I watch Dynamite, I never know when to take Angle seriously because it feels like the commentators are just joking all the time. It feels like the fourth wall is being broken too much. They're trying to pander to the internet fans that are watching because that who that is who is watching AEW. That's all. That's that's the only people that are watching is the internet wrestling fans. And just like King did with Morrow, they like shame Excalibur for knowing all these moves. They make fun of him for calling a suicide dive a tope suicida, but that's what it's fucking called. Or like the signature moves of these guys, like when Colt Cabana does the flying apple or when Chucky e. T does the awful waffle, they like make fun of the names. And yeah, they are stupid names, but they're like making fun of them for knowing all these moves. I don't know, man. I th- there's a lot of problems with AEW commentary, but ultimately it comes down to, okay, can I immerse myself in this universe while listening to these guys commentate? And the answer with AEW is no, absolutely not. You know, you had that angle with, this probably, this might be a bad example, but when Chris Jericho beat the shit out of Orange Cassidy with oranges. Okay, that whole premise is just destined to die, right? But it's like, is this, is this supposed to be a comedy segment? Or is it supposed to be serious? You might initially think comedy, because it's Orange Cassidy, but the dude's like busted open. Like, are we supposed to believe that this bag of oranges is really doing damage to this guy? Or is it supposed to be comedy? And it's clear that the commentators themselves probably didn't understand the tone of what was happening. So they were like kind of like joking, but like half serious. So they weren't full full force in either direction. So the result was this gray area where they just seem like they're uninterested. And that's a lot of what I see in AEW is they're just, they seem uninterested in what's going on. Like a match will end and then there'll be some sort of promo after this or some sort of video package hyping somebody up. And then you'll see, you'll hear JR. Oh, that was a good match there. Uh, all right. Now we have uh, this little uh, piece of business right here. I think you're really going to enjoy this video package that we have prepared for you. And then uh, here we go. Enjoy. <laughs> like it's so clunky and weird. And it's like he doesn't believe in it. And he, he it's almost like he thinks it's ridiculous. The premise of pro wrestling is ridiculous to him. That's at least how it comes off. As far as JR goes in AEW. Anything with the inner circle really. It's like okay is this comedy or are we supposed to be taking this serious? If they like do a beatdown on somebody, like that one week where they like power bombed Matt Jackson off a stage, it, it, it felt the emotion they were trying to convey felt so forced. It shouldn't feel forced because we should be in this mindset. We should be in this universe that is the AEW pro wrestling universe. And while we're watching this show, we should all be in it. And we, the, the emotion that the commentators give off should feel real, but it never feels real. It feels forced. It feels tongue-in-cheek. It feels like, oh, wasn't that a dastardly thing the Inner Circle does? Wink. The result is the Inner Circle not getting over. Which they haven't. They haven't. They stink, dude. They suck. It's a bad faction. This isn't even like an anti-AEW thing, because there are good factions in AEW. The The Inner Circle blows. They're geeks. Chris Jericho's old and fat. And he doesn't know whether to be serious or whether to be comedy. Santana and Ortiz were awesome in TNA. They have been relegated to being jokes in the inner circle. Parodies of themselves. Jake Hager is a fucking nerd. 
they try to build him as a badass and he's just a geek that pays too much attention to his hair. He doesn't know like how to look into the camera. He's very nervous. He tries to be intimidating, but he's kind of like soft looking, terrible at talking, lisp. I don't know why I'm getting on this tangent about the inner circle, but the point is a lot of the reason I feel this way is because the commentators, whenever the inner circle come onto my television screen, they don't know whether it's comedy or serious. I don't know whether it's comedy or serious. Is that the, is that the fault of the commentators or the, or the fault of the booking? That's up for debate. Maybe maybe the commentators just, just don't have the ingredients to, to have the emotion that you might have seen in the Attitude Era or in the, even in the Ruthless Aggression Era. Maybe they just don't have the ingredients. But whatever the case may be, you should at least attempt and stop focusing on just having fun with your buddies at the commentary table. You should be doing your job, which is conveying emotion, whatever it is, to the audience. Period. And the disingenuousness of commentary doesn't stop with the, the inside jokes among the commentators. The disingenuousness is at a higher level. It's at a corporate level. It's how the show is structured. And a lot of that, unfortunately, falls on the commentators. Now, this aspect of it is not the fault of the commentators. It's the fault of the, the image that the higher-ups in whatever company it is. It's their image of what they think they should be doing in terms of advertising in terms of promoting their product. There's too much promoting. There's too much. Too many ads. Too many up... Uh, here's this upcoming show. We have this and this live event and this whatever. Follow this guy on Twitter. Follow our YouTube channel. Hit us up on Tout. Find the post show on this platform. Tune into this whatever the fuck Twitch stream. It's not the fault of the commentators... But the whole structure is a problem. It makes the show feel less organic. Because no longer are we just watching a show and reacting to what's happening. We feel that they, it makes them feel like a corporation. It makes it feel like a corporate conveyor belt just whipping out shit after shit after shit. It no longer is the show spectacle. It completely takes me out of that. No longer is it, you know, action, comedy, whatever, whatever I'm watching in front of me. No, it's no longer that. It's just a corporate television program that i'm watching now because there's too much promotion we see the all you need is commercials you need commercials if you want to have a ticker at the bottom or whatever maybe a few graphics here and there that's all you need to sell tickets it's a minor thing but it's an important thing because i think a lot of where commentary fails is it just doesn't feel organic and it feels put together it feels corporate and it, there there is a certain extent where i understand you have to advertise your stuff in this day and age there's so many different platforms so many branches on the tree that you have to go to and a lot of people don't really know all the branches so to an extent i understand it but they just lay it on a little too thick in my opinion speaking of inorganic unorganic inorganic whatever the word is speaking of not being organic the overuse of catchphrases. Holy fuck. Mamma mia. Oh my. Ball game. Unbelievable. Showtime. Remember that Percy Watson? Absolutely cringe. Everyone's trying to be JR in the Attitude Era. Everyone's trying to find their stone cold or or stomp a mud hole in them, or fucking, what else? 
the Austin era has begun. Everyone's trying to find that little soundbite catchphrase that they can put on a t-shirt. But they're not letting it happen organically. They're shoehorning it. They're, they're, they have it in mind before the show starts, and then they're looking for a spot to throw it in. They're not just letting it happen. Like I said, everyone's just trying to be JR. Everyone's trying to be the iconic commentator. But the result, the actual result, is cringe. It takes me out of it. When I, <laughs> Fucking Percy Watson's Showtime was probably the worst one. But all commentators do it, man. And it's ridiculous. Too much. Overuse of catchphrases. It's just too much. But a lot of these catchphrases kind of ties into the, the ultimate goal of the commentator nowadays. No longer are we just trying to emotionally react to what's going on in the ring. Now, it's commentary is almost, it's just like a conduit to create sound bites for video packages. We're not just saying what we feel anymore. We're thinking about, hmm, how is what I'm saying going to fit in the video package before Raw tomorrow? Or how is it going to fit in in the highlight reel for this show, right? I think Michael Cole is probably the biggest culprit of this, right? We all remember Shane McMahon versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. <laughs> Shane jumps off the cell, goes through the table, and pans over to Michael Cole, looking at his script, looking at his script, not at Shane, not the body that just fell 20 feet through a table, looking at his script. For the love of mankind! Ugh. Oh, God. I noticed it as soon as the first time I saw it. We have a man throwing himself off a building, and all I can pay attention to is this douchebag reading off a script, trying to create a soundbite. Nobody goes back to that as a great call. You know why? Because it was forced. JR saying that Mick Foley is broken in half. For the love of God, he's broken in half, or whatever it was. That's an iconic call, because that was his real reaction. His real reaction. Not a predetermined, scripted soundbite. And one that's probably even worse than that. Fuck. Daniel Bryan winning in the main event of WrestleMania. Great moment. Great culmination of a great storyline. And then you have to hear this doofus. The Miracle Kid! The Miracle Kid! A miracle on Bourbon Street. Oh, God. What the fuck? Again, just, we have this great moment and you're taking me out of it with your predetermined bullshit. Your preloaded lines that aren't even good. Nobody thinks that, nobody thought that was his real reaction. That's not how he talks. That's literally not how he talks. He's literally just trying to create something, you know, that, that when they look back at WrestleMania 30, they're going to, oh, we're going to throw that call over, over this highlight package and your, your voice is going to live forever. No, it won't. It's a shitty call. I don't even know if it's, if it's been used in highlight packages because it was so goddamn terrible and so inorganic, so forced. Fuck you, Michael Cole. But this all plays into the structure, right? Mainly WWE. Because commentary, like I said, I, keep, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. But it's no longer about calling the action and having the emotion to convey to the audience. It's about selling. It's about promoting. It's an it's a avenue 
to sell t-shirts, to sell pay-per-views, to sell network subscriptions. Like the whole stupid nicknames they have to give everybody every time Braun Strowman comes out. It's the monster among men. Corey Graves does the same shit. Cole with the, it's boss time, or the big dog. Cole will say that when they first come out. Graves will kind of jump onto that. You know, Cole will be like, the monster among men. And then Graves will start talking about him. Oh, he really beat those guys up at the last pay-per-view. What's next for the monster among men? We, we heard you. We see it on his shirt. We got it. It doesn't make me more invested in him because he has a nickname. That's not how it works. That's an unnecessary trope that needs to fucking die. Enough. Let the product sell itself. Quality wrestling should be able to convey... You don't need to tell me that he's the monster among men. I should be able to look at him and understand that. Let things happen. Just let him unfold in a natural way. You don't need to shoehorn their stupid goddamn nicknames. Christ. Just, just, just these buzzwords and phrases that they have to get in. You know what I'm talking about. It feels like you can just have a soundboard of certain sentences and that, that'll just cover everything they need to say. This Sunday at the pay-per-view. It was even worse, like, in the Attitude Era. Michael Cole, early Michael Cole was awful with this, dude. God, I can't even, like, I wish I wish I'd, I don't even know how I would look it up. But there'd be, like, a storyline thread throughout the show. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll take a more recent example because it still applies. Because Jerry the King Lawler, right? Because he was there in the Attitude Era. So he did the same shit, right? Rey Mysterio versus Brock Lesnar. The whole build-up was... Can't, I mean, whatever. Obviously, can Rey Mysterio... Because he was trying to win the Universal Championship. And I think at one point they said... Can Rey Mysterio pull off a miracle and beat Brock Lesnar? Now, every segment... In the weeks building up to it... And every beat within the match... You hear Jerry Lawler go... Oh, I, I think there might be a miracle happening tonight. Oh, I, I don't think a miracle's happening. Could a miracle happen? Oh man, he's gonna he's gonna do a miracle. A miracle's about to happen. Oh, he he made sure that miracle wasn't gonna happen there. Miracle, 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 miracle. Oh, he's got he hit the six one nine. Oh, I think a miracle's about to happen. Miracle. Shut the fuck up. We got it. You don't need to beat us in the head with it. We're not stupid. He did that all through the Attitude Era, too. And Cole did that, too. Like, I think they were, there was one storyline where, like, Triple H thought there was a conspiracy against him. And then every segment, even if Triple H wasn't involved, Michael Cole had to, be, had to go, Well, well, King, remember earlier tonight? Triple H think there's, thinks there's a conspiracy against him. Like I said, it'd be like D'Lo Brown versus Val Venus. Oh, so they're in the lockup. So, King... Remember last night? Remember earlier tonight with Triple H? He thinks here there's a conspiracy. Then after that, you have the Hardy Boys versus the New Age Outlaws. Oh, the New Age Outlaws, tag team champions getting in the ring. So yeah, Triple H and the conspiracy. The conspiracy. Do you think there's a conspiracy against... Like, oh my god. There's like a common thread that they, they think they need to say the same word over and over again to tie the... To bring the audience in. But that's just not how it works. It's never how it's worked. And I don't know why they had that idea in their head. They do it less nowadays, which is good. Or they're at least more subtle about it nowadays. But man, 
it just goes into how inorganic commentary feels, how disingenuous it feels. If I could wrap it, if I could wrap all this up in a bow, commentary should feel real. Commentary should have emotion in this wrestling universe. They should have the emotion that the wrestlers are trying to convey, and they should bridge that gap between the wrestlers and the fans. And that emotion should go over the bridge into the fans. So the fans feel that emotion. Is that what it is nowadays? No. It's a conduit to promote their social media, to promote the t-shirts of the wrestlers, to promote the network, and it's just a, a group of five guys trying to have fun together. Fuck you. I'm hard.